Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. With me, as always, is my co-host, Tom Nixon. Hi, Tom. Hello again, Jay. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, Tom, I I came across uh, an article today. I don't remember the name of the firm, but it's like a research and analytics firm. And they they dubbed uh, a particular date in, I think it was January 19th, as quitting day, which is the date by which most people kind of... let go of their goals and and quit their resolutions for the year. I don't think we, you and I have ever talked about, you know, our specific goals for, for this year yet. Um, so I, I was curious, what is, you know, do you have a personal goal or, or a business goal that you're focused on this year? Yeah, I have both actually. Uh, mm-hmm. The personal goal is to revive a decades dormant music career, believe it or not. So I used to be a rocker back in the nineties and I'm attempting to become a yacht rocker <laughs> 2021. So I am going to, I'm recording a, an EP about halfway done, started in the fall and hope to release that in the spring. So that's my personal goal. That's awesome. So that obviously ties in and you should plug your, your yacht rock podcast right now too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yachtrockpodcast.com. If you want to learn about it, you want to dig in more, dive deeper. That's the place for you. I hear it's blowing up too. Uh, sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're actually uh, have two syndication offers now. So uh, look out, world. Here we go. If I what? stop appearing on this podcast, you'll know where to find me. I was going to say, what are we doing wrong here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about thought leadership and not music. Yeah, I guess so. Um, all right, business goal. Business goal is somewhat top secret because wink, mm-hmm. wink, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and without giving too much away, um, just to create a new sort of platform that makes what we do more accessible and e- more easily accessible to a wider, in some ways, a wider audience, but a more niche audience at the same time. It's about all I can say, Jay, because you know what I'm getting at. All right. Yeah. Top secret. We'll be talking more about that in the weeks to come, I'm sure. So, um, and actually that ties in because uh, our guest today also has something similar uh, going as well. So let's let's bring in our guest today, which is uh, Sherry Bellitz. Uh, and Sherry is the founder of Sherry Bellitz Communications, which is a litigation strategy and education company for lawyers. Sherry is a lawyer with over 20 years of experience in, in the insurance industry, including managing mass tort litigation for fi- Fortune 500 insured clients. Sherry studied forensic psychology, including advanced jury research and science at the graduate level. She writes and lectures extensively about the intersection of psychology and litigation. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We were just commenting before the show, Sherry. I know that uh, we've we obviously interact quite a bit on LinkedIn, which is where we we met, I guess. And uh, it's nice to be able to to kind of take that conversation offline. So we're real pleased to have you on the show today. Um, LinkedIn is truly the only party in town these days. So it was great to meet you at the online cocktail party. And it's even nicer to kind of get to know you one on one. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. So let's talk about you and, and your career a little bit. I always think it's interesting for lawyers to hear about how a practicing lawyer becomes a formerly practicing lawyer um, in your case, where you know, you've know you made a transition into something adjacent to the legal practice, still working with lawyers to a great extent, but um, no longer doing the traditional practice of law. So 
why don't you just talk a little bit about your transition, kind of what led you to it and, and talk a little bit about what you're doing today. Sure. I'm going to give you the abridged version mm-hmm. of the long story. So how's that? That started in college. And um, this is kind of when I first realized that I love the intersection of law and psychology was I had a really bad date with a guy who was a law student. I was a freshman in college. And um but I was really, I was really curious. I was in the school of education, which I hated. It was just like too vocational for me. I wanted something like a little more theoretical, like a little bit, um, you know, just more kind of esoteric for college. So I was on this date with this law student and I kept asking him, what happens if the jury hears something, they hear a question and then it's objection sustained. Like, how do they ever forget the question? Can they ever really take that out of their minds? And he said, you know, that's a really good question you asked and we're learning about it in the class I'm taking called evidence. So right away, um, I mean, really, it was probably after Thanksgiving break, I told my parents, I said, I'm dropping out of school of education. I'm taking this psych 101 class that I love. I'm going to become a psychology major and I want to go to law school after. So that was really the first time that law and psychology just intersected in my mind. And that's what I thought law school was going to be all about. And then there was like the rude awakening of the dormant commerce clause and all those awful first year classes. But um, I always really had psychology on the brain, um, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended. And it was much later that I really went on to take that leap of faith and pursue that dream. But that's kind of my early on story where the, fir- where the two disciplines really intersected. Yeah. And so in, in sort of practical terms, when we talk about, you know, the, the, consulting work that you're doing now, what is the core of that? I mean, what is like the, I mean, I think people generally know what, what trial consulting and, and strategy means, but talk, talk us through like uh, just the, at a high level, what an engagement looks like. Sure. Um, well, there's a lot of different services and there's also a lot of different types of trial consultants. There are trial consultants who have been lawyers for many years, who have been psychologists with no law background or people like me who kind of have that hybrid law and psychology background and who have also practiced for a time. So um, basically the engagements, the high level engagements are mock trials and focus groups. I do witness preparation for fact witnesses, for expert witnesses, writing case themes, um, working on storytelling, Deposition preposition, um, deposition preparation is absolutely so key to any case. So I really spend a lot of time doing that and um, really just getting cases ready. I primarily work for the defense bar and for insurance professionals and really getting cases early and ready for trial or maybe not even for trial to get evaluation for them for settlement, which um, right now is really the only game in town. So it's not just, um, it's not just voir dire, it's not just what you see on television, it's really um, bringing trial consultants to evaluate a case and to work up the themes and to get those witnesses prepared. Sherry, your uh, background in psychology fascinates me as uh, somebody who, I think it was my freshman year in college, I got introduced to a course called 
abnormal psychology and it was like a 101 level course so it had some you know intro to psychology aspects to it we're learning about freud and the id and the ego i was just enthralled and i thought well i found my calling i'm going to be a psychologist a psychologist or a psychiatrist and that's all there is to it until i figured out what the path to that was and i was like nah, let's <laughs> look around a little more I ended up an english major and unemployed but anyways <laughs> i'm still fascinated with psychology and I'd love to know how lawyers you feel can harness the power of psychology in litigation. Well, um, I felt the same way. I took the abnormal psych class and all of the interest psych classes, and that was really what spoke to me. So I completely am on the same page with you with your love and interest of psychology. Um, I think that what you can do is, so a lot of litigators, whether um, no matter what side you're on, and like I said, I work with defense lawyers a lot, but I talk to plaintiffs lawyers often. What you can do is you can use psychology to, you can harness it, you can leverage it, or you can use it to mitigate certain situations in your case. Um, you can use it in conjunction with linguistics, strategic linguistics in your jury selection to ask the right questions, to get those jurors who are biased off your jury. You can use it and you can understand what, um, and again, here's my bias. I'm usually talking to defense lawyers. I tell them how to mitigate concepts like anchoring, concepts like the reptile theory, which plaintiff's lawyers use, um, various, um, the plaintiff's bar has really harnessed social psychology. They've really leveraged it. And the defense bar for a number of reasons is a bit behind. Some of it is just systemic. It's their business model, which is more competitive rather than collaborative. And really, I just work on um, using these techniques to help them either mitigate what plaintiff's lawyers are doing or to leverage it. And I'm curious, do you find that these methodologies, even to say an experienced litigator, who I would presume, again, I'm not an attorney, never have been one, never studied law or psychology. Um, I would just presume that a lot of this got already baked into their career just through experience. But I, I was, are you finding that these types of methodologies are, are new and novel to the even the experienced litigator? Some of them are new and novel. And for example, um, I'll give you reptile. I think that's the best example in the industry is, so in 2009, there, were, there was a plaintiff's attorney and a trial consultant who wrote a book called the 2009 Manual of the Reptile. And basically the idea of this manual was to use social psychology, to use neuroscience, to get into the brain of jurors and to really tap into that lizard reptilian part of the brain to arouse anger and to drive up verdicts. So defend and and whether you believe the science or not, um, it or whether you even think it's marketing, it is an effective methodology and verdicts have gone on an upward trajectory since this was implemented by the plaintiff's bar. And what I do as someone who works for the defense bar is I work on techniques to mitigate that because that is that is strategically questioning and cornering the witnesses into certain positions, having them take positions, really asking very tricky, broad questions in the deposition preparation. And it's all over after depositions. Like if you get slaughtered in those depositions, you really are in trouble by the time you get to trial. So it's taking those techniques and really um, showing the witnesses how to properly 
answer the questions and deal with these tricky questions and deal with this methodology that's being thrown at them. So that's that's one example. And like I said, again, plaintiff's lawyers have really harnessed social psychology. Um, one other example is anchoring. That is an old concept and it's not exclusive at all to litigation. It's anytime we negotiate. It's when you go buy a car, or buy a house. And um, lawyers on the plaintiff side are asking, they, the joke is you say, how do you get a large verdict? You ask for it and that's what they're doing. They're asking for the sun, moon and stars in their verdicts. And we basically need techniques on the other side to kind of mitigate that and to refute that anchor. And um, so that's another example. Sherry, uh, that's really interesting. I, you know, I did some litigation work, but not a ton when I was a practicing lawyer. It, it, oftentimes it was done in the context of, of the bankruptcy court. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating to me. But I also think that these uh, these topics related to psychology also have ap- quite a bit of application in the realm of marketing too, right? I mean, it's sure. legal advocacy is about persuasion, marketing is about persuasion. And I know that you're a very active and prolific um creator of content, thought leadership content. Um, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about that and, uh, you know, kind of maybe talk about your approach to thought leadership as, as a way to build your practice. And also maybe any, any tips or thoughts on how to use some of these principles of psychology in, in one's marketing as well, if they're building a legal practice or something like that. What comes to mind in particular, when I think about psychology and marketing is some of the work of like Robert Cialdini and the book Influence. Uh, and topics like reciprocation and social proof, these things that, um, you know, we can bake into our marketing to a greater extent to help it more, be more persuasive um, with the audience we're trying to reach. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you approach marketing um, and maybe how psychology can play a role in that? Sure. Um, And I think that's very interesting what you brought up about reciprocation and remind me to get to that if Mm -hmm. I don't, because I think that's really important on a platform Mm -hmm. like LinkedIn. So um, to just give you kind of my trajectory of my LinkedIn involvement, um, several years ago, I signed up, I was using it as a glorified resume, probably like a lot of people are or do at first. And then I started just kind of connecting with everyone and you know, then dipping my toe in and maybe liking a post or, and finally commenting on a post months later, and then just started kind of posting articles. And once I was comfortable with that, I really started, I think it was probably around the time that we went into lockdown, around the time the pandemic started and we were just kind of locked in our homes and didn't have that social interaction. I wrote a post about, I live in New York City and I wrote a post about New York City and it was just like one of these straight from the hearts, didn't draft it, just wrote it right to LinkedIn and just talked about um, my experience. And I received a ton of feedback and support and um, DMs and I realized, and, and I'm not someone, I'm not on Facebook, I'm not really a big social media person. So this became kind of an outlet to really just talk about my thoughts. And that was, that was a personal thought, but I said, you know what, I can, I can talk about my thoughts about juries. Let me not just post this article. Let me actually tell you what I think about this. What do I really think is going to happen with virtual trials? And I just started to try to, um, 
insert my personality into it and really just make it a little bit more personal. Um, and at the same time that I was doing that, I just started looking at other people's content in my feed, connecting with more people around the country, around the world. And I started realizing, and it wasn't a quid pro quo or anything necessarily, like people were really posting. There were some very interesting people and whether I was gonna do business with them or whether I would never do business or meet them, I really wanted to get to know them because they were interesting. One of my favorite connections is a guy who does cybersecurity, lives um, in Wisconsin, and um, we've become the best of friends. We'll probably never have occasion to do business together, but he's someone that's enriched my life, and I hope I've done the same. And I would just start commenting and reading people's comments. And I think on a forum like LinkedIn, you really, you really want to do that. Like you don't want it to be only about, I have to say this, I have to say that. You really want to get to know people and see what they have to say. And um, that's kind of a way of refuting your confirmation bias, which is a psychological concept. But um, it's, it, it becomes just, um, I would say it becomes natural. It's not a quid pro quo. There are days where I really have nothing to say and I want to um, just engage. And I want to see what other people are talking about. I want to um, insert myself into the conversation at the cocktail party, which is a lot easier to do online. So that's really, I guess my strategy's kind of been organic. Like it was just very natural how it started. And I joined a networking group in conjunction with um, the pandemic. And as I was ramping up on LinkedIn. So really, I guess if I had to come up with takeaways, it would be, um, be, be yourself, be personal. Sometimes no one wants to, you know, read every single case that's happening in your jurisdiction. Um, you know what, sometimes they want to, just get to know you as a person and um, ask you questions and have you ask questions and really just talk about interesting things that are going on in the world or that are going on in your field. And um, that that's really been my strategy. It's been pretty natural. Yeah, right. I think you've you've described in that answer, Sherry, just when we touched on the issue of uh, reciprocity or reciprocation, like just come to it without a real expectation of quid pro quo or anything. But then that will be if you have that sort of generosity or abundance mindset, I imagine, you know, good things will happen just as a natural consequence of like sort of being a good person and supporting other people on the platform. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes I'll see something that I know one of my connections, maybe I don't know a lot about it. I don't know too much about cybersecurity, but I know someone who's going to love this article and have something great to say, and I'll tag him. Or um, maybe I see an opportunity for someone to be on a webinar to be speaking about XYZ. I'll tag them. And I really think that's what it's about. And people do the same thing to me. Um, and in fact, I think that's how we met, Jay, mm -hmm. is you said something about lawyers who were writing books. And I just kind of um, mm -hmm. jumped into your post and said, hey, I just um, was a co-author for an anthology and, you know, happy to chat. Yeah, I think that's right. And we we almost immediately, uh, I guess we maybe sent a couple of direct messages back and forth and we we jumped on a phone call and and then you know ever since then we've stayed in touch on the platform and here we are on a podcast so that's kind of how things work yeah absolutely yeah 
Well, uh, one particular interesting platform that I'd like to talk about that you're creating or have created is uh, a way to productize your expertise, I'm guessing. And that is the launch of your membership site called, and I love the delicious pun here. You have to read it to fully appreciate it, but it's, <laughs> it's called Encyclopedia. And psych law is psychology of law, I'm assuming. Yes. So encyclopedia. So what spurred this initiative? What lessons have you learned? And you can, can you tell, uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about this? Sure. Well, first, let me address the name because my sister used to be like, Sherry, you're like a giant nerd. You're like an encyclopedia <laughs> and stop boring everyone. And then I was kind of doing the podcast circuit over the summer. And I kept saying, I apply psych to law, psych to law, psych law, psych law, encyclopedia. And I was like, I have to trademark that. So that's where the um, punny name comes from. And um, so, so the really funny thing is um, I'm Gen X. I'm 48 years old. I kind of came um, to just everything about social media, I guess, a little bit late. And um I remember my big reservations were like, I can't start a business. I don't know how to do a website. Like what's a podcast? And I was just completely out of my league. And then once I joined a networking group, it's very funny. I was never really friendly with many millennials. I worked in corporate America. The whole way of doing business was managing up to these people with the three martini lunches that were twice my age. And I just really didn't have occasion to interact with um, that cohort of millennials. But once I joined this group, it was like learning a different language. It was um, a dashboard and, and your landing page. And do you have a subscription model or a membership model? And I just soaked it in. Um, this was over the summer and I tried to learn. And I said, you know what? This would be a really great way. Um, we're in a recession. It's hard times. There are companies that would love to have mock trials. They'd love to have big formal trainings, but it's just not affordable. But I can, I think I can do that. I can, um, my first idea was, let me sort of bring this to everybody. Let me bring the intersection of law and psychology to everybody for a reasonable price. I can do it by video. And I just started um, having these ideas and talking to people who were better with the technicalities of it and um, entered into a partnership with someone. I, I, I just call him the millennial. I'm like, oh, the millennial's texting me again. Why won't the millennial talk on the phone? He'll only text me. Um, so yeah, so that's my joke. Um, his name's John Robinson. I call him the millennial. And he did all of the setup on Thinkific and really worked out all of the details and continues to do it. And I do what I love doing is creating the lessons, written lessons, quizzes, glossaries, um, recording videos for different, applying different psychological concepts to different litigation um, procedures and just dropping a course a week. That's cool. Uh, I, you know, I think that there's a real opportunity uh, for you know everyone, every expert really to to package their expertise in a way that makes it more accessible for more people. So I love the idea of of putting that in a membership site that allows it to to reach people at scale. So um, at, you know at the end of our conversation, Sherry, I'm going to ask you to 
point people in the direction of where they can find more about that. But I also want to talk about one other piece of, of content that you have been involved with. And, and we had Trisha Baxter on the show a few episodes back. And so she was had an opportunity to kind of preview for, for those who listened to that episode about the book that you were a co-author on, which is Hashtag Networked. So um, that was a book that you referenced joining a network uh, networking group on LinkedIn. And um, so I think... Well, I'd like to know, I, I know all the authors kind of wrote one chapter. Um, maybe you could just talk briefly about the the book overall and then kind of if you w- wouldn't mind sharing, like what did you write about? What was your contribution to the book? Oh, sure. Okay. So um, again, another completely organic thing. Trisha had a networking group. I believe she sent me an invitation. It was like probably March 13th, like as the pandemic was just, um, New York City was completely locking down. I'm like, what do I need to join a networking group for? I mean, I ignored the invitation. And then finally, like I I sort of dove in and there were 50 women attorneys, like all different backgrounds. And I kind of just sat back to see what it was about and then just jumped in and started engaging. And I was starting my business at the time. And these women threw opportunities at me, Trisha threw opportunities at me, come on my podcast, talk about this. Um, This one's like, you know, be on my show, write an article with me. Do you have a quote to contribute to above the law? Like right away, like they gave me opportunities. They gave me confidence. And I think we were all sort of doing that for each other, but it became really a more, um, it became social, it became professional, it really became a lifeline during this um, horrible, crazy time in the world where we were so isolated. So um, I know I'm getting a little off topic, but again, really organic is, um, we were just kind of BSing one night in the chat and we were talking and um, we started talking about books and I'm like a huge lit nerd and, I kept thinking about the Decameron the whole time um, that the pandemic was going on. That was the book written in the 1300s about um, the um, bubonic plague in Italy. And it was it, it was an anthology and the Canterbury Tales was based on it. And it was about, um, everybody was telling stories. Each chapter was a different story. So I had that in the back of my head and we were just talking and, I kind of came out with like, why don't we, why don't we do something like this? Why don't we each talk about, why don't we each write a chapter? Look at what we're going through. This is like an extraordinary time in history. Why don't we, why don't we just talk about what we're doing? And I said, you know, if 10 people will do it, then, then I'll do it. I think we can do it if 10 people will do it. And ultimately 20 raised their hands and everyone leveraged their talents. I mean, no one was asking me to start the LLC for it. I was just, um, you know, more creativity. And um, so we all told our stories. I told a very personal story. Um, It was about career. And I talked about um, my infertility struggles that my husband and I had, and, you know, finally having our twins many years later, and really just kind of wove it into my professional life. And there's a lot of personal things. And I really just kind of went out there and you know, I'm, I'm in business for myself. I'm not at a firm. I'm not at a company. I was probably a little bit more uninhibited than um, I would have been if I was at a firm or company. But, um, you know, every everyone's chapter is very different, very beautiful in 
their own way. And really the way that we even approached putting the book together, it's so interesting. Like there, there were people that were great at proofing. There were people that were great at marketing. We had a tax lawyer, she set up the LLC and everyone really leveraged their talents and what they like to do. And it just came together really beautifully. And we're very proud of it. And I feel forever connected with these women and grateful um, for them and and for the others who didn't participate in the book, but are in the networking group. And um, it was just really, it it was our pandemic project. It was our Corona baby. Like we are... um, really proud of it. Well, Sherry, this podcast has come full circle now because what I lack in knowledge of psychology and the law, I more than make up for in my knowledge of Chaucer in the Canterbury Tales. So now I will recite from memory, the Miller's Tale. Everyone buckle in. (laughs) Amazing. No, I I will not. I shan't not. I I knew that this is where this is headed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right in my wheelhouse now. Finally, the English degree pays off. Yeah. It's either Yacht Rock or or, uh, English English literature. Yeah, yeah. That's That's your sweet spot, Tom. So, well, well, Sherry, um, thank you. It was really interesting uh, discussion with you today, and we really appreciate you joining us. Before we sign off, though, I guess just point people to where they can find your website. I, I think you can find your membership site there as well, as, as well as if you want to, obviously your book is available on Amazon, but just kind of talk to people about where they can connect with you and find what you're doing. Sure. Well, well when in doubt, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm mm-hmm. always there. The screen's always open. Sherry Bellitz, B-E-L-I-T-Z. And as I like to say, visit me. That's www.sherrybellitz.com, my website. Learn with me. That's encyclopedia.thinkific.com or read with me. And that is networked on Amazon. Um, so that's kind of where you can find me. But when, when in doubt, LinkedIn, send me a DM, I'll respond. Sherry, that was awesome. You you have the most polished uh, kind of sign off that we've had on the show. That, so, up. that was good. Did you make that up? Well, you should keep that going. That was really I, good. I did. I did. You know what? It's because I, I'll just tell you really quickly, these um, millennials taught me about the bit.ly link and they're like, you need a bit.ly link for this and for your calendar and for that. So I just put a bunch together and I'm sort of like, oh, visit me, learn with me, read with me, uh, talk to me. So that's, All right. Well, that's the that, sign off. There's a good, there's a good final takeaway for our listeners who are hoping to be on podcasts. So that was great. Well, Sherry, it was a pleasure speaking to you and to our listeners. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you next week with another episode. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.